I want to preach a message very simply entitled God's Perspective. God's Perspective. Some of us think that we have God's perspective, but before the end of the day, we're going to realize that really we've just been operating in our perspective. So here's a pretty simple question. All right, listen. First service, totally failed. (laughs) This is a rhetorical question. I'm not putting this on the screen. A rhetorical question is a question that you do not answer out loud. I did this same thing in first service. Three people still did it. And everybody stared at them. (laughs) And it was awesome. (laughs) All right, rhetorical question. Just let it simmer. Do not respond. Here's the question. Who owns everything? That's the question. Let it settle. Don't say anything. I just saved somebody. Who owns everything? That's the first question I think you need to write down. And then we're going to examine for about the next 25 minutes whether we really believe that or not. I want to give you a word that I would have defined as in the dictionary of Christianese. You know, there's, there's English and Spanish and Chinese, and then some people, they just speak in Christianese. They don't, they don't use like a regular language. They only talk in language that born-again people understand. You, understand, you know what I mean? There's these words uh, that they use. One of them, one of them, <laughs> one of those words is a word called stewardship. Now, if you weren't raised in Sunday school, with flannel graph boards and people that stuck to green sheets of paper, then, then you might not be familiar with this word, but stewardship very simply describes an individual who is responsible for somebody else's stuff. A steward is someone who manages something or someone on behalf of somebody else. Hear me, learning to live as a steward of my heavenly father has been the most liberating decision that I have ever made and led to the most defining moments of my life. A steward is someone who has access to what somebody else owns And that person is responsible to the owner of what they have access to. I know, I know you can hardly stay seated, but I'm going to keep going. Psalm chapter 24, in in response to the question that I asked you, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. So, So God, yeah, the Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hilltops, but he doesn't just own the cattle, he owns the hill, he owns the dirt, he owns the minerals underneath, and hang on, he owns every person that has ever visited any of those hilltops. The Bible says the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and the people, those. So my bride is actually his. I'm about to help some of you husbands. When you get married, God doesn't just see you as a son. He sees you as a son-in-law. Some of y'all better straighten up because daddy's about to come visit. You know what I'm saying? Come on. (laughs) She is his. My children are his. That's why I'm supposed to treat her 
the way that he would treat her. She's supposed to submit to me the way that I or she would submit to him and we, are y'all with me, are you okay? And we are supposed to train our children the way that he will train them. Why? Because we're gonna give an account to the owner of how we treated one another and how we trained them. Are you okay today? Because we're stewards. We are stewards of one another and the people and the things that he has given us. Here's the point. Everything I have is on loan from my heavenly father. With that in mind, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. Again, everybody say again. again. Okay, that word means that he's already had this conversation. Again. You ever looked at a child and said, all right, <laughs> again, I need you to hear me this time. You ever looked at a kid and said, this is me not yelling. <laughs> you should try it. It works wonders. It's as scary as a scream. It really is. <laughs> again, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven, which we were unintentionally under the guidance of the Holy Spirit preaching about since November. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. He called together his servants and he trusted his money to them while he was gone. This is referred to as the parable of the talents. This was the sermon that my son chose to preach as his first sermon ever. The talents are not about your gifting and your ability, although it is interesting that God uses the same word. God does not want access to your time, talent, or treasure. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we're gonna be here till one. God wants access to our time, talent, and treasure, why? Because it's all his. And this parable is a financial parable because in the Bible, and when Jesus said it, translated into English, a talent was a coin that was worth about $1,000. It'd be like Jesus handing you a $1,000 coin. Okay, and now he's saying, hey, look, I need you to do what you're supposed to do with it. If you're taking notes, number one, you tried to answer a minute ago and I saved you. God owns everything. God owns everything. Guys, if he owns everything, if God owns everything, then he has rights to everything. And again, three amens. <laughs> if God owns, let me give you this we talked about this in our group this past Sunday and I recorded it, it's on our YouTube channel. You can go check that out, it's about 15 minutes. We're doing that because we finished the book of Acts in the name of Jesus, all glory and praise to the Father in heaven. It took us three and a half years, but we got there. We finished all 28 chapters of the book of Acts and those commentaries are on our YouTube channel, but we're gonna record the group discussion. So that's on our YouTube channel, you can go watch it. One of the things that we talked about is all the people that claim to be children of God 
All right, if this is actually, I'm asking you to respond. If you claim to be a child of God, if you don't know, it's okay, just kind of chill out. Nobody's gonna be looking at all eyes up there. If you claim to be a child of God, just wave at me. I'm a child of God. I believe I'm a child of God. Praise God. What a great church that we have. If we have that many children of God, then why do we have so many people that still think like orphans? If we have that many people who are willing to say and pretty confident in the fact, yeah, I consider myself a child of God, then why do we still think when we give something, we can't have it? If we try something and fail, then we're doomed. Because that's not a child's mentality. If we have that many children of God, then why do we look at the things that he has given us and consider them ours? Because that's an orphan mentality. An orphan looks at what they have and go, if I give this, I'll never get it back. I won't have, this is irreplaceable. It's mine, I work too hard. I barely have anything as it is. I can't give this up. An orphan looks at life and goes, I can't try that, it's too scary. If I fail, I've already had enough things happen to me in the past. If I try to move forward and do this and it doesn't work out, then I'm doomed. That's orphan. A child Let's use Gabriel, Emery, one of my children as an example. A child understands that they have a relationship with the father that grants the father access to everything that they have even though it's in their room. I can't get no help in the Presbyterian church today. See, the bank owns my house. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but I own the stuff in the house. That means it doesn't matter whose room it's in. It can have Gabriel's name on it. If it's in the house that we're paying for, then it's mine and I have access to it. That's why y'all think I'm playing. But let one of my children slam one of my doors and lock one of my doors and tell me to get out. I will go through the door. I'm telling you, there will be a crisp fry chalk line going in the front of that door. And all of a sudden, I'll be like, Jesus, he wasn't in the room, then he was in the room. <laughs> I'll take the door off the hinges. And it's not a, that's not a threat. They know that where we live belongs to us. And everything that they have, we have access to. And guys, you know, they don't walk around offended. They actually walk around extremely confident. In fact, that dude ain't worried about one bill getting paid in the last eight and almost nine years of his life. <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't have an orphan mentality. He doesn't think that his provision is up to him. He knows that his provision is dependent upon who his daddy is. And so he's confident and there's nothing that we can't ask of him. Unless he does not have the physical capacity to accomplish it, the reason that he will give us anything we ask him for is because he understands that everything he has is ours. And he's confident. He's not offended. See, many of us, we make decisions as if what we have belongs to us. And we think, man, what do I want to do for a living? Man, where do I want to live? Man, what do I want to buy? And we even do this, we teach our children the same things. What do you want to be when you grow up? But if we understand that everything, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, 
Come on, that everything and all the people, it's all his, then we say things like, man, God, where do you want me to live? God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to give? And we train our children. What is the Lord calling you? What is God calling you to do with your life? Where is God calling you to go to college? What is on your heart? Because your heart, what's on your heart is an indication of what God has for you. See, I think that God knew we were gonna struggle with this perspective. So he gave us about 800 scriptures that have to do with material, possessions, finances, and money. 800. In other words, he talks about this as much as he talks about anything. Why? Because God knew that we would try to put our faith in what he provided instead of the one that provided it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus, the Son of God, the one, we're children of God, we're joint heirs with Jesus. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, some people flip that and they misinterpret it. They say, well, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. No, Jesus was saying, where your treasure is, is an indication of what you really care about. And why is this important? Why is it important that we understand that where our treasure is is actually an indication of where our heart is because Solomon, the wisest man that ever walked on the face of the earth, wrote in chapter four of Proverbs, verse 23, if you don't guard anything else in your life, you better guard your heart. Like if you, if, if, if you just wake around, walk around not being sober-minded and alert, assuming that the devil's gonna pounce on everybody but you, then maybe you can do that. But if you're gonna, not, if you're gonna guard just one thing, if you're gonna guard one thing, make it be your heart. Because everything flows from your heart. See, what we, what we really believe can be found in what we do, not in what we say. I'm a child of God, okay? Then it should be able to be seen in what you do this week, not just in what you say you believe. The parable continues in verse 15. Jesus, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version now. It says, to one he gave five talents, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, to one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. Do you mean to tell me Jesus gave one person 5,000, one person two, and one person one? And ain't nobody say something? Yeah, because he's Jesus. He can give you whatever he wants to give you. And he will not give you what he knows is not good for you. Did you notice that the people in the story didn't come to Jesus and say, why didn't you give me what you gave them? There was no comparing what God gave. They understood. He gave this to me, I'm responsible for this. I'm not responsible for you. Doesn't matter how much he gave you. Doesn't matter what he's done for you. My relationship with God is between me and him. Each one he gave according to his own ability. So if you don't like what, oh my goodness. If you don't like what God has given you, <laughs> then you might wanna consider being more obedient and allowing him to stretch your capacity and allow more things to be done in and through you so that he can, you can learn to trust your own ability. And he went on a journey. This is what the owner did. The Bible says immediately. Everybody say immediately. 
That's cool, most of you did it, we'll move on. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more, immediately. Immediately the one with the most went and invested it. Number two, God expects us to leverage what he gives us. God expects us to leverage what he gives us. That's on page 42 in your book. It's also at unischurch.com slash notes and or slash more. You can find it in several places, even through our app, because again, we like to remove excuses. God expects us to leverage. I believe that stewardship and finances are very similar to his dominion. See, last week, whenever I preached that God has lended his dominion to you, everybody shouted and everybody preached with me and everybody left here excited knowing that they had authority over demons because hell couldn't handle Jesus and he can't handle you. Come on, somebody. That's fun preaching right there. But then all of a sudden when I say God does the same thing with our money, God does the same thing with our material with our possessions, just like he has lended his dominion to us and we will give an account for his dominion, he has lended his provision to us and we will give an account for his provision. See, a steward, I told you a minute ago, a steward is just a manager of somebody else's stuff. And a steward will take what someone else gives them, hear me, lean in, a steward will take what somebody else gives them and accomplish the goal of the one who gave it to them. That went over really well. We're gonna keep going. So here, let me simplify it. God allowed me to be his Edward Jones. I know, right? He has a goal and he has an objective, but he has given it to me to fulfill his goal and his objective. I am God's real estate agent. He has a certain price. What's the price? People. How many? Whosoever calls. How many are left? That's how many. It is the will of God that none should perish, but all would call and repent and believe and be healed and forgiven and set free and baptized in the Holy Spirit and in water and all of the above. I ain't got time to preach it all. How many, how much? Yeah, I'm responsible for that. There's a price, I'm his agent. He has invested it into me and I'm supposed to invest it with his goal in mind, are you okay? Being a steward is more than just what we do. Being a steward is who we are. I can prove it. And this one's gonna be a little uncomfortable. Like more uncomfortable than everything else? Maybe just a little. If you wanna know whether you're being a good steward or not, this is the most measurable thing about your relationship with God that you could possibly do. All you have to do is look at your bank statement. That's all I have to do. Because my bank statement is actually a reflection of my life story. My bank statement tells the story of my life. It, or if you look at your credit card statement, then you can see what and who you really care about. God does it to me. I'm just, listen, I'm just sharing what he has given me and what he has done for me. In fact, my checkbook, my credit card, 
and my bank account are all very good indicators of my priorities. How many children are believing God as heirs and not just image bearers or God forbid orphans? I think we can see right now why Jesus spent so much time talking about this. Why there's 800 scriptures to help us in this area. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 25, it says, the one with five talents brought five more. We saw that a minute ago. And then in verse 21, the owner, the master, which is God, Jesus, our heavenly father in this teaching, in this parable that Jesus gave us about finances, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. You were faithful with earthly mammon. So I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. Yes, Lord, come and let me hear. And to the one who had two talents, the exact same story. Did you notice that the one who had two talents was not supposed to bring three more than the two that Jesus gave? He said, each one according to their own ability. So comparison is the thief of joy because God never created you to compare what he's given you to what he's given everybody else. That's why pastors get burnt out and overwhelmed. It's not because God's not using them to do something. It's because God, they're comparing what God is using them to do, them to do to what God is using somebody else to do. And when you do that, you lose the joy and the fulfillment of what God has called you to, and even more importantly, who God has called you to. See, you can find just as much fulfillment in pastoring a church in Eunice, Louisiana, as somebody could in Dallas, Shreveport, San Antonio, and the likes. Because it doesn't matter where you are when God told you to go there. So to the person whom he gave to, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Here's point number three. God holds us accountable. Uh-oh. Every one of us will stand before God and give an account. The owner in this parable, he shows back up to see what the stewards did with what he gave them. Please, please hear my heart in this. I do not teach my children to tithe because I need their money. I'm the pastor of this church. Yes, your tithe it's not yours, it's God's. But your tithe pays my salary because that's what God told me to do with my life and this is how much I believe in him. But I don't teach my children to tithe because I need them to pay my salary. So for anybody in the room, oh, here we go, I finally visit the church and, and it's just another preacher wanting my money. Hang on, you, you're missing the heart behind this message. Because I don't teach my son and my daughters to tithe because I need their money. I teach them to tithe because I'm not raising thieves. Because it's either tithe or rob God. And I will give an account for what I train them to do and they will give an account for what they do with it. 
See, some pastors let their church off and they say, you know, if you can't tithe the whole amount, then just start some. And I will say, start somewhere. Trust God in it. But the Bible says you either do this or you're a thief. I don't need one of Gabriel's $10 so that I can pay the light bill this week. I don't need Gabriel and Emery and Adeline to learn how to give above and beyond their tithe because it's not actually giving until they give back because my man can't find my wallet, take money out, bring it to me and go, happy birthday, dad, I got you some money. <laughs> nope, that's mine. <laughs> that's, that's just giving back. I need them to learn how to, to hear God's voice and give above and beyond what just he requires. Why? Because I'm raising stewards. I'm not, I'm not trying to raise successful Americans. I am training followers of Jesus in a world bent towards hell. We are at war and God has given them something strategically specific to win certain battles. That's why, because one day I will stand before God. We will all stand before God and give an account of what we did with his son, his sacrifice, and the resource that he gave to us. Matthew 25, verse 24, it says, the one who had received one talent also came and said, Master, I knew you to be an angry God from the Old Testament, reaping where you did not sow and sending people to hell because you don't like them because they weren't born in the South. Gathering where you did not, I'm sorry, verse 25, and I was afraid, I was afraid that I would lose what you gave me, so I went and I opened a savings account. <laughs> Dang, I didn't write the parable, I'm just reading it. It's just so easy to, now listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a retirement account or a savings account or you paying yourself before you go buy a bunch of toys every month. I think that's good stewardship unless you're not given to God first. And that's how we operate. So that's what I teach. And by the way, everything in my savings account belongs to God too. And so if he tells me to empty the thing, buy savings account, because I don't think that what I have is mine. I know that God gave it to me and he can give it back. I said, I know that God gave it to me and he can give it back. So if he asked me for it in that season, it doesn't matter how long I've been saving for it. It's his. And I have seen God, and I don't have time to tell that story today, but I can promise you, you'll hear some of it next week. I have seen God give back more than I could ever give to him because when you're faithful over little, he will make you master over what's really important. That's who he is. That's a, that's a good daddy that will hold us accountable. So the one that took what God gave him and hid it, did you notice that this parable is not about overspending? See, when we think of bad stewardship, we go, oh, don't go to the casinos, don't gamble and don't overspend. If you gamble and overspend, you're a bad steward, God will kick you in hell. Hang on, this parable is not about overspending. Catch this, this is so important. This parable is about under-investing. Under-investing in the kingdom of God 
is just as damnable as overspending on earth. According to this parable, Jesus doesn't even address overspending. He says in verse 26, the master answers and said, you worthless, lazy American. Take the talent away from him and give it to the one that has 10. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Verse 30, throw the worthless slave into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, you gotta understand, God did not just call us to be faithful. He called us to be fruitful. Faithfulness causes fruitfulness. By the way, if we're not being fruitful with what God has given us, it is equivalent to us not being faithful to what he has said to us. Are y'all okay? Because I feel like I just heard somebody drop something and it sounded like a feather just hit the floor. See, you have two types of churches, two types of churches. You have attendance churches, which you can find all over the South. And then you have effective churches, which is where God sends people. It's where God sends his treasure. See, there are people in attendance all over the place today. But if they were to close their doors, their community could care less because they haven't done anything in the last 50 years of their existence except for attend a service. But effective churches, they impact eternity. Effective churches open up preschools that they'll never get to go to and start churches that they didn't even know about. Give people a drink of natural water so that they can experience the living water. They go scrub urine off of the walls in the local elementary school, sand it down and paint it. Woke up tired and still made it almost on time for church today. That's what effective churches do. And effective churches are missed by their community when they get scared. Number four. We must not take lightly what God has entrusted to us. And this isn't popular. We are going to give a personal account. Have you noticed how much and how quickly God has given this church influence in this community and the surrounding area? Why? Because he trusts us. And guys, listen, we are now responsible to carry the weight of this responsibility correctly. So we shouldn't let the weight of uncertainty cause us to make decisions that the weight of responsibility should inspire us to make. In other words, when we were doing a building that was gonna cost $150 to $170 a square foot, we were all in and we were all ready. But all of a sudden, through the weight of uncertainty, we got bids back for $300 a square foot and we began to question whether God wanted us to build. And so we had to fast and we had to pray and we had to come together as a staff and a board and we had to go, man, does God want us to do this or did we just wanna do this? Because if it's us, we need to wait. We need to save. 
We need to hide some talents in the ground and hope he comes back before we put ourselves in debt and get in trouble. But if God wants us to do it, and here's what I told our board, if God wants us to do it, then it doesn't matter how much it costs. Well, that's easy for you to say, no, it's not. There is one person in this church that loses everything if this doesn't work, and it's not you. There's one family in this church that suffers more than any other family. My staff can go somewhere else. We have the most incredible staff in the region, much less the area. They can go anywhere. They can make anything. But who's going to want a failure that put a church in too much debt? See, the weight of uncertainty can cause us to start operating in fear instead of faith. But when you say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me, I don't care. I didn't come here because I wanted to. I came here because you told me to. And I'll do whatever you keep telling me to do. It didn't make sense in the first year, and it's not going to make sense in the seventh year. But God is faithful. We must never allow ourselves. I think you need to write this down for yourself personally. I must never allow myself to be paralyzed by fear. Because I'll become a bad steward. Number five, and I'm closing. Because you're cold and I'm sweating. Number five, stewardship starts with surrender. Stewardship starts with surrender. Hear me. Living for Jesus is going to cost you. I don't know who told the American church that living for Jesus was just gonna make everything 70 degrees and sunshine on Fridays. But my Bible sells a different message. Living for Jesus will cost you. It will cost you everything. Because you will come to a place where you realize that you are nothing without him but in him you can do all things. And Christianity is not a decision that you make, it is a lifestyle that you live. So surrender, surrender is actually living God's way in a lifestyle of surrender. It's not just a one-time thing. In other words, this is no longer about what we do. This is about who we are. I said it in first service and I'll say it again. If somebody came tomorrow and wrote a check for the full amount, or if a hundred people came and they all gave it together, or if Pledge Sunday and Miracle Offering Sunday, we would still do this initiative because this is about way more than a building. This is about us as a church learning how to trust God when it doesn't make sense and watching God work alongside of us and despite us. Surrender. Because when God is your source, it leads to a great peace. All right, on a prayer card in front of you or online or just in your book or in a note on your phone, if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if, you, if you waved at me a minute ago and you believe that you're a child of God, 
then I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to what? I'm going to challenge you to write down one thing that you're believing God for. Because we've been preparing for this since 40 days before Easter when we took a 40-day prayer challenge together. And we fasted 21 days in prayer before that. So I want, you to, I want you to write down at least one. Maybe you write down five. I don't know. Maybe you write down 25. What are you believing God for? Write it down. And now I want you to write down who you're believing God for. Who? Who are you believing God for? And I want you to bring that next Sunday night. And we're going to worship as if God's already done it. We're going to pray as if it depends on him. But we're going to obey as if it depends on us.